Hello, I'm glad you're here. I'm lead media disruption developer Kai Hubris, and this is Eureka Cast. Now, where we discuss the latest news in science, but also technology. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hey there, Rowan. Hello, and may the capricious nature of fate shield us all from misfortune this evening. Exactly. So we are looking for shields on today's episode of Eureka Cast Now because it is safety week here at our laboratories. We have our hard hats on, we have our safety goggles plugged into our eyes, and we are evaluating the world of science in the second half of the show. Absolutely. There is so much danger that is inherent in the scientific process, in modern industrial processes. And Mm -hmm. Understanding how to be safe is an underappreciated form of science. As we've talked about many times before, there are certain sexinesses right. that are can be applicable, that can be applied to different types of science. And exactly. safety science is not very sexy, as opposed to perhaps no. lasers or volcanoes. Right, but ju- it's as necessary as those other things. So we're going to be playing the parts of the Chicago Health and Safety Commission's little safety experts... And looking at the world of science. But before that, let's start off with some science news. Rowan, I think you have a uh, you have a science story for us? I do. I do, as a matter of fact. Um, what I have tonight is actually a little bit of a uh, Eureka soapbox, oh, actually. And what is that? That is, of course, when uh, the editorial portion of the program, when mm. uh, it, it is important, it is uh, necessary for one or both of us to comment on a, a story in science news. And You have an opinion on this. I do have an opinion on this, but let's start okay. with the story itself. And that is, of course, that the ozone layer is back on track to closing. Really? Finally, it, after all these years, it, it, there was I thought it never happened. A, a time period in uh, between 2014 and 2017 mm-hmm. when there were elevated uh, pollution coming out of eastern China that was uh, diminishing the ozone layer. It was um, uh, trichlorofluoromethane. Wow, that's a that's a mouthful. It is, and and, and it's a a uh, chemical that is used in uh, the production of insulation and mm. various other sort of uh, refrigerators and and air conditioners. And right. with that going back down, the ozone layer is um, now back on track to close up within the next fifty years. Um, that, that's as, that's great news. It is. We're gonna live. Hopefully. We're going to live to see the day that the ozone layer is closed for business and it won't let anybody in and out anymore. Well, that is one way to look at it. Right. That is one way to look at it. And close that close that zone. Well, close that ozone. Well, perhaps, perhaps. But why are we not investigating other ways in which this atmospheric phenomenon couldn't be remediated? Why are we not looking? And that's my soapbox. I think that by enforcing these standards by by going about it so hap so so single-mindedly with mm. regard to ozone right w- there could be all sorts of other gases that we could be providing into the atmosphere right. to serve the same function and this and these gases you're saying could could be better they could be better than the ozone at doing whatever it is that the ozone does well, or it could add new features to our atmosphere well, well, let me let me put it this way okay ozone is a negative indicator for pollution for air quality when it really? is on ground level. It is. This is established fact. This is well known. So if it's a pollutant when it's on the ground level, right. why are we not treating it as such in the higher atmosphere? Now right. it serves it's a purpose. Sort of a, yes. It serves a purpose in deflecting UV rays, but why not something else? Why aren't we putting argon into the atmosphere? Some sulfides. Yeah. Why aren't things we... that we're all very familiar with and we feel more comfortable with? And that is, and that is my eureka soapbox. Is that I feel as though that by approaching this problem in this manner, there's a lot of innovation out there that has been. Uh, uh, frankly, overlooked with regards to solving the issue of the the quote unquote ozone hole. Right. I mean that 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 hole. I I I agree. I, I as as you know, I, I'm part of the hack the planet movement, and I mean this is the perfect the perfect time to hack the planet. What would happen when we stick something up there? Something new, something disruptive, and something interesting. 
we don't know until we try it. And 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 frankly, ozone is not organic. Ask any organic chemist, and they will tell you ozone is not organic. So need- carbon dioxide, at the very least, it's not doing great things for our atmosphere, but it has carbon. It is organic. Mm-hmm. Ozone has no carbon. It's, I, I, it, why are we relying on this this compound when there is a whole world of compounds? There's a whole world of there's a whole world of gases we could be exploring. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. Thank you very, very very much for that, Rowan. My story, and this is a classic eureka moment, a cool piece of science that I heard about recently and that I've been keeping close tabs on. Uh, my eureka moment is that the Ingenuity helicopter has made its first two heroic flights across the surface of Mars. And this was big news. This happened this past week. The Ingenuity is, of course, a helicopter that we sent to Mars uh, as part of the rescue rover initiative uh ingenuity is the uh, is the perseverance rovers sprightly buddy um that's going to be accompanying uh, uh percy as well as it, as their companions on daring and treacher- treacherous adventures on the surface of mars now you are using you use the word we there we we are you involved in this I'm involved in it as a member of the scientific community. Ah. This is a success for all, for the entire, for all the world, all the scientists around the world. No, my, my question to this would yeah. be, um, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on No, you never this. are, Rowan. I can I, sense that. I, but, but what's so exciting about a helicopter on Mars? We see helicopters <clears throat> all around all the time. We see drones right. everywhere fact, all the time. Yeah, some people could say, and I don't agree with them, but some people could, could say we need less of those in the world like just flying around all the time i think i would agree with that i don't agree at all but now we can put some on mars and the thing is gritty uh, integrity uh is a going to be a big part in the rescue rovers mission to explore mars for signs of life now and then rescue rovers being of course um the team of rovers that we sent to mars to have adventures and ultimately help us in our scientific endeavors as depicted in a cartoon Yes, but also they're on Mars and they're actually having amazing adventures. Anyway, April 19th was a big day for Grit. Uh, Now, as we know, Grit cannot talk like their other robot companions can. Um, Do we know that? I'm 100% sure. How would we we find that out? We've talked to them. They're in communication with the NASA space space. They can talk. Anyway... Um, Grit can't talk, but they were very nervous. They were clearly, if robots could blush, this one was blushing. And what do they talk about, Kai? What does anybody talk about? Rowan, what do, they, they might, they could be doing a show like ours. For all we know, they certainly are interested in science. We made them that way. Anyway, Gritty was very nervous. And in fact, you know, they're almost blushing. Nearly crashed once, but thanks to support from the NASA space base, as well as kind-hearted Percy, they pushed through, and they made their very first heroic baby steps across the surface of Mars. That was April 19th. That was Monday. Now, April 22nd, that's when things got serious. Gritty started testing their tactical movements, weaving through harsh terrains and obstacles along the surface. Uh, oh, that it, so, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to yes. interrupt, Kai. But, um, I love questions. Tactical purposes. Tactical yeah. movements. What is the use case for tactical movements on the surface of Mars? We don't know what's up there yet, is the thing. We're trying to find out what's up there. We're trying to look for signs of life and ultimately help the, sci- the scientific community. Anyway, tactical movements, weaving through harsh terrains and obstacles. Advanced maneuvers, such as stall turns and barrel ro- rolls, again, for that harsh Martian terrain. And then, of course, their illustrious ground pound ability which will as i said help them on their search for signs of life could you describe a ground pound for me kai well uh well what gritty does is he goes up he goes up pretty slowly again he's got to make his mark precision tight precision immediately they start jetting down as it's called descending in aeronautics they then a, a, a piece of metal appears. It, it bursts from a compartment below in sort of a, a bullet shape. It then hits the ground. It causes, I mean, I don't have to tell you, 
it causes sand to go uh, to go spreading out in all different directions. And then Gritty comes comes back up and, and gives us a nice thumbs up and tells us that uh, that their mission was completed and we have more data thanks to that. Fascinating. Science is truly fascinating. Um, I 100% agree. Uh, well, while we're keeping this on a roll, I uh, have a eureka moment that we can tuck into very quickly. Excellent. Uh, so um, another eureka moment. Uh, and, and that is, and this ties back into our safety concept, okay. which we will be discussing in the second half of the program. Yes. But touching on it a tiny bit now, uh, there is an exciting new way in which companies are fighting combat combating rather alarm fatigue and supporting okay. the arts at the same time. Oh, so great. So this is this is part of Steam. This is this is one of the <clears throat> Steam 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 Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, Math, and Gaming. I don't know about that last one, but alarm fatigue. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't think I've heard of that before. That is what happens when someone is exposed to alarms constantly. Essentially, it loses its potency. Mm -hmm. Imagine, if you will, working in a mine or in a, a very, very I couldn't busy imagine, but warehouse. Well, it's hard to imagine. It really is. Mm -hmm. um, but if uh, to, to try and imagine, put yourself in one place. There, sure. There's all sorts of forklifts and pallet jacks. There's so many kinds of forklifts. And they're all being occupied in the same space. And right. when they're backing up, they're beeping. And if, you know, in this echoey environment, in this loud environment, mm -hmm. the whole thing happens wherein that those alarms they lose their potency it's happening right. so much that you're no longer paying attention to it right like you see next to you maybe there's a forklift making the beeping noise and you think i'm safe from that one not not seeing the one right behind you comes crashing into you and then you have a big accident right and and with in these situations where there's always these alarms these beepers going off it, you lose it you lose track of it yeah and, and you start hearing it in your sleep it becomes your daily life and and there are uh, methodologies that are being used to combat this mm -hmm. um that include using um static instead of the standard beeping really um like yeah, beeping static or just straight just static? just white noise white noise that is something that is being done in european countries but mm -hmm. but in america Calm, in 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 America, we right. have a uh, there's a very it's innovative new thing coming out, system. which is that Spotify is now really? collaborating with Granger to introduce the new Rewind program. Rewind which, program. Rewind, yes. which will see the replacement of backup beepers with fresh tracks from up and coming artists really? on a rotating basis. There, now this is amazing because it's it's both sharing. It's it's both like you know it's an innovation but it's also it's also an entrepreneurial uh, uh thing as well it is it's giving exposure to yes. to these these artists who might otherwise not get them and especially in perhaps a group of individuals or group of workers who would not normally be exposed to some yeah. of these experimental um arts uh, music musical styles musical subgenres so there are are these are they all from experimental musical subgenres well not necessarily many of them are uh, there are options to select which mm -hmm. ones uh from a number of uh of uh of genres right. of sub genres but the the choices are limited by nature to uh, particularly attention grabbing ones right so your black metal your oh, crunk core your sure. dubstep your harsh noise wall uh -huh. your power electronics and right. among you know among others right those can be selected and those will be played and and here's the, mm -hmm. the 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 thing with alarm fatigue is that the reason it fails is because there is a lack of novelty the way to combat right. the alarm fatigue is through novelty and yes. by using this rewind program there will be essentially infinite novelty available people will not mm -hmm. well people will not be able to unpay attention to these alarms that are being going off or at least that's the thought right i mean if i Whenever I hear, say, a, a 100 gex around me, I know I sh should be I should be observant and aware that I am in danger. Right, and, and and as you put it, this is a truly a steam initiative. Right, it's yeah, I I love it when we can get those those fancy boys from the arts industry uh, into our into our hard science and technology fields. Fascinating stuff, it really is. Yes, my last story for uh, this first half is. A Eurekavation. 
Really, and and this is a new this is a new segment. Mm. I I have not heard of the Eurekovation uh, prior to, to, prior to this. Yes, many haven't, but um, I'm sure you'll be interested in it because Eurekovation is a stunning innovation in science and technology. Specifically, this one's by Chicago's very own premier tech startup research laboratory. You know it, Tech Brothers Labs. Well, uh, as you might put it, yes, they are premier. Uh, yes, so Tech Brothers... As is, an employee of Tech Brothers Lab. Yes, I, I am an employee, and you are also an employee, Rowan. Um, I know you didn't read the paperwork, but uh, again, I, we keep going over this. I don't think that's accurate. Well, you are, and uh, but what I want to talk about right now is that Tech Brothers is working on engineering possibly the most advanced vehicle safety technology on the market, possibly in existence. Well, it's interesting that you should bring that up because Mm -hmm. the safety of vehicles, especially autonomous vehicles, has been called into question lately. There has been a uh, much hubbubaloo being made about the fact that um, some of these vehicles, some of these autonomous vehicles are not all that safe. You're speaking, of course, about the Tesla and our... uh and the initiative that I took a part in to try to wreck 100 Teslas in 100 days. And how was that going, Kai? Uh, we're nearly we're nearly there. I can't, you know, big reveal coming soon. Fascinating. And we're only 30 days into it. Um, but uh, but this one is is not like that at all. Uh, now of course Tech Brothers is not in the car making game yet. I don't want to you know I don't I don't want to make any any unfair predictions, but. We're not currently making vehicles at Tech Brothers Laboratories directly, but we are working with several other organizations and companies using our advanced prediction algorithms to design what we hope to be the safest car in the world. And how are you planning on doing that? Now, that is that that is a lofty claim. It's a lofty claim, so but there, if anybody could do it, it's Tech Brothers. I, I don't know about that, but, but please elaborate. Mm. What, what are these features? Right. But first, uh, I... I just want to say our philosophy behind this is when it comes to accident detection, I think we all can agree the earlier the better. Because the earlier you detect these accidents, the better you are in a position to avoid them altogether. So thanks to, uh, and, and before now, researchers have only been able to successfully predict accidents seconds before they happen. Mm-hmm. Seconds. That's, at that point, that's too late. There's not a lot of wiggle room no. at that point. It's, there's not a lot of opportunity to put in controls to be able to react to it right. with some, seconds to go. Sometimes all, yeah. So, in fact, that's a, great, that's a great point. All that car can do is do a little wiggle and hope it avoids the accident. We, and I just think that's bad engineering. And obviously it has not worked uh, as, as uh, evidenced by certain events yeah and it's and it's only in some cases it's only made the problem worse but thanks to advanced ai developed by tech brothers partially the new media labs and hundreds of sensors located all around the vehicle we are able to predict accidents with above 80 percent certainty up to one minute before they happen now that's that's quite incredible how are you able to verify that how are you able to that you know as someone who has dabbled Mm. in prognostication right someone who has dabbled in fortune telling as part of their professional career Mm. that's very difficult to do up to a minute especially in such a uh, energetic fast-paced world life is a highway Certainly. On the highway, certainly. Right. It is a highway. Uh, how? How how is the uh, the AI able to, to do this? What it, What is that based off of? Well, you know, the same thing happens, Rowan, what your questions, your concerns. Same things we heard from chess masters 20, 30 years ago is that how could a computer beat me in chess? How can it predict my moves so accurately? And it turns out it's not too difficult, particularly here we're using quantum computing quantum computing yes now wow that's and and that is incorporated into the automobiles um yeah kind of fascinating just barely just a little bit anyway uh 80 certainty for up to a minute before they happen and this is the this is the wild part rowan i want you to sit down i have been seated this entire time i thought you're not at one of those standing desks we sent you around I tried the standing desk. And? My joints. They're better? They hurt. And you're not using it right. Um, so anyway, we can accurately detect 
on several occurrences we can accurately detect. Accidents that are occurring anywhere between 5 and 30 minutes before they occur. Now, of course, the precision there is a little off. Again, quantum, quantum mechanics, you can't, you know, time and energy. Okay, so, so um, to take this at face value, which yes. I have a hard time doing, what is it that one can do 5 to 30 minutes before an accident occurs to prevent that accident? I, I, that, I can understand a minute, perhaps. I can mm. understand 30 seconds. But it's five all, that's all your before, brain is able to comprehend, yes. I think my brain is capable of comprehending many timescales. What is happening 5 to 30 minutes before the accident? Many things. Such as? Well, as soon as the AI detects a high enough risk of the accident. We want to be safe here. So we're looking for a high yeah, yeah, high rate of the accident. Immediately, the car, no matter in what state it is in, because we are in an emergency, kicks up into emergency mode. We want to, again, we, we want to avoid this accident altogether. First off, we initiate the emergency brake. Then, initiate the airbags. Step three, accident prevented because you're not moving you're in a safe position no how could an accident occur at that point if one were moving on the highway very quickly perhaps and this ai detected an accident and you were perhaps in the passing lane going 80 miles per hour right which you, sh- you shouldn't be doing that's, that's a very unsafe speed especially if you're in an autonomous car what would the uh what would the safety ramifications be then if 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 these features were to were to trigger, well, we just we just tell the other cars to go around it. It's very easy. I think I think you're overthinking this, Rowan. Anyway, of course, now it's not it's not a hundred percent perfect yet. We're still making tweaks. We're still making little uh, little adjustments. Um, specifically, we're working with, with these companies to create other safety measures in these cars along with this advanced uh, predictive accident prediction AI, including uh, installing passenger cocoons that would safely wrap the passengers as well as you know children, babies in the back seat maybe um, in case uh, an accident is predicted, as well as impact disintegration. So, you know, you've heard of crumpling on impact. Mm-hmm. What's more safe, what's even more safe is perhaps the body just entirely disintegrates and then you don't have a problem with getting the person out of the car and it alleviates a lot more of the of the actual impact fascinating and and when is this expected to roll out what are what is the um the uh the the timing with which that you expect these new features to be implemented uh, two, into two, new cars two to five years two to five years yeah two to five years it's right on the horizon rowan the future is waiting well, that's fascinating, Kai. That really, I that agree. really was. Um, Couldn't agree more. It certainly stirs the noggin. It it offers m- multiple opportunities for insight, for reflection, um, for consideration. And that's what you get here on Eureka Cast now is all those th- all those things that you said, as well as a fourth thing which we are going to move into, and that okay. is of course affirmation, because oh. we have reached the midpoint of the show, mm. which is going to be our mid-show affirmation. Wonderful, and this is going to be a reading from the Old Souls Almanac. This is a compendium of wisdom of poems of thoughts musings mm. from old souls from introverts from empaths and all from these all, wonderful innovative people all of the people that do the real thinking the people that are capable of true thinking unlike your extroverts unlike deep, your low frequency people deep thinkers deep 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 thinkers and this is a poem that goes out to the people who are deep thinkers and their right. their, their bright souls some some say that the universe itself is a poem those people would be correct oh really and this poem has to do with the universe so this oh. is, i do not have an, a uh, someone to attribute to this as with many entries in the old souls almanac sometimes it's just sort of folk wisdom folk <laughs> Traditional stories passed down, poems uh, spoken but not written, but they're written in this instance. Oral tradition. So this is titled 93% Stardust, and it 
reads. <laughs> How does it read, Rowan? I'm really going to like this one, I think. We have calcium in our bones, iron in our veins, carbon in our souls, and nitrogen in our brains. I'm on the verge of tears. 93% stardust with souls made of flames. Flames. We are all just stars that have people names. I'm, 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 this is unbelievable, Rowan. It's so strange to hear how similar old souls are to you and me. It's strange to note, this is an individual who's not just an old soul, but clearly a an citizen empath. science, uh, a citizen scientist of some sort, because they are speaking accurately and tangibly right. and precisely. precisely. 93%. They are clearly an amateur astronomer, if not an amateur an amateur astrologer. Right. Um, they have a soul they have a soul made of flames. And that's pretty cool. That is remarkable. And with that, we are going to go to a short station break when we return. We will be discussing safety because it is safety week. It's safety week here Sa- in Eureka Cast Now. Safety week at Eureka Cast Now. So please stay safe and stay tuned. And we are back. We are back. Welcome back, everybody. It's it's now time to reveal our special feature for today involving. Safety and you, listener. Because it is safety week. It's safety week here on Eureka Cast. What is more important to an individual other than safety? Safety for oneself, safety for one's loved ones, safety for one's pets and plants and garden and belongings. And of course, if you're a citizen scientist out there, and of course, when we say citizen scientist, we mean somebody without formal training, without anything bogging them down you just have a a dream and a hypothesis working in your citizen science laboratory you're on a home uh then of course the safety of your laboratory is important as well right because in these sort of uh, more well-established labs in the sort of places that kai and i work at Mm -hmm. there are people there are safety managers who are there are uh, that that work and they are they mean they're huge they're huge dweebs huge dweebs huge pain in the butt and uh, why not the clip with clipboards but they do serve the purpose of thinking about these things for you and stacking the deck as such to prevent Issues to prevent uh, unsafe incidents from occurring, to prevent injuries, to right. prevent that sort of thing. Sometimes we, sometimes we like to slip. We like to give them a hall pass and say, "Here's my hall pass, sir." Sometimes, sometimes, perhaps a twenty dollar bill factors into it, but we're not here to discuss that. We're mm. here to offer our advice right. with regards to when you don't have a, a safety manager. When you don't, yeah. When you don't have the backing of an Good institution, for you, first off, with there, you still need to be considering safety. It right. still needs to be uh, something in your the back of your mind. When science is a passion project for you, passion still needs a little bit of safety. And so, what we are going to talk about in this last portion of the show are the top ten things your citizen science lab needs. The top ten safety pieces of safety equipment mm. your citizen science See, lab needs. That's where I have to contradict you, Rowan, is because I know we both planned on bringing five of these, but yes, we discussed it. We discussed, yeah, sure, in the emails. But I think what's I more, send, I, I sent a number of emails. About I this. saw them. You did, Rowan. I skim all of your emails. Why did you not respond? I was busy. Why did you not tell I me we're going? I was making the I was making the car algorithms, Rowan. I, I'm busy. Um, but actually, what I think is more important, and what, what I think the citizen scientists out there, what you citizen scientists listening needs need to know more, is there are a lot of preconceptions about what laboratories have and what they need and things like that. And frankly, most of the stuff you see in a standard laboratory, most of the stuff that is in my standard laboratory, that the safety manager tells us to learn about and pay attention to, you don't actually need. And I can prove that you don't need them with the actual science itself. So I brought five things that you do not need in your laboratory. 
Ty, this is not what we discussed. But it's what we're doing. Anyway, I, Rowan, uh, I believe, let's just let's just see how this goes, Rowan. I think it's going to turn out just fine. Let's hope so. So, uh, the first thing that uh, you you would need, I guess, the top five things your citizen science lab needs for safety. The first one is the first one is um, a fume hood. Fume hood. A fume hood. Now, what I forget what is. It's not like a hat. The fume hood is a. Uh, it's sort of an enclosure that uh. goes over a laboratory bench that um, takes ah, yes. out that that siphons out gas as you're working uh, yes. with things that might come off with with harmful vapors, harmful gases. Yeah, very important. You don't want to be breathing a lot of that stuff in. No, oftentimes one does not. Oftentimes one does, and that is why I'm really? coming out to say that not all fume hoods are created equal because oh. some fumes are actually good for the scientific oh. process they are good for you really and the trick is being able to to either isolate those fumes as they are coming off mm. in your project in your experiment or to introduce fumes that you are interested in remove bad fumes introduce good fumes yeah and that is the the fume hood that you would want to get as a citizen scientist building your citizen science lab well that's that's i mean that's the thing roan is that before we had fume fume hoods before they invented that sort of thing uh scientists were doing just fine in fact a lot better than our current scientists are what's the reason for that Probably because they had these fumes that they were that they were getting. Well, there that is at one hundred percent accurate in the sense that there is so much research that goes on in things such as pharmaceuticals, mm. in, in in things such as food production, flavor right. production, uh-huh. um, anesthetics, all these sort of fields. The big three, where the biggest advances the largest steps forward have been the result of an individual being exposed to the subject the solvent what have you yeah we would have never had ether as much as we have now and ether by the way i'm just going to just quick quick side right. note ether is so much malign ether could very easily come back and be the big next anesthetic um, really? or perhaps legalized for recreational purposes, but that's a separate discussion entirely. Yeah, that's a that's a Eureka soapbox for the a different point. Thing. The point being is, is you want a fume hood that is capable of not just removing fumes but introducing them, mm. especially with work with regards to parapsychology. Sometimes you need to be introducing incense. Sometimes you need to be introducing essential oil because it helps cleanse the space, not just of toxic fumes but of bad energy of low frequency vibrations ah uh, yes you know what Rowan? i think um you know what i think is a, is a fume hood what's that the uh, the next to the yards campus where it's simon amy institute of spirit sciences some fumes are had here yes anyway so it doesn't diminish anything we're doing no no of course not anyway fume hoods number one so to contradict that, I agree with you, Rowan. Fume hoods, and especially fume hoods that are able to give you more fumes, the good fumes, are a good idea. The thing that you don't need, though, number two, and this is something that so many laboratories have, and they just don't need, are eyewash stations. Now, that's a very, that's a very, um, that is going to be an immediately controversial mm. opinion, yeah, I have well, to say. it shouldn't be. Because I guess it's true, because everyone does have one, but you just don't need one. Nobody ever needs an eyewash station. And it should be very obvious. If you're in a laboratory, I'm not saying don't wear goggles. You need to wear goggles. But if you're wearing goggles, you're pretty safe from chemicals. Now, one might argue, um, I might argue, that the space taken up by an eyewash station, the logistics required therein to have one in a facility are low enough to to offset the um perhaps the unlikelihood of being used well sure that's that's where you'd be wrong rowan is oh that, okay because what you're what you're seeing what you're seeing is two tubes coming out of a wall mm-hmm. sounds fine what you're missing is the complication that goes on behind the scenes an eyewash station in 97.3 percent of the cases that i see just ruins your plumbing they constantly need maintenance. They're leaking. So your water bill is almost certainly going to increase. And, you know, if there's a problem, if there's an electrical problem over there, then you're, you're 
out of the whole laboratory and you're out several thousand dollars because those warranties, they don't cover everything on those eyewash stations. And the most important thing is that when you do need them, and this is this is the harmful part about them, is that when you do need them, when you do use them, when you, I don't know, get inadvertently get, I don't know, some chemical, some dangerous chemical in your eye. Some sort of caustic compound. Yeah, which you, yeah, which you shouldn't if you're, you know. Some sort of flesh-eating uh, chemical. Yes, but if you but then you you use the eyewash station, a horribly blinding uh, melange of uh, oxidizers and uh, electrolytic See, but compounds. But when you use this eyewash station, what you're risking is the safety of your own cornea, because those things they blast out faster than you think. They can go wrong so often. Several of several people that I know, several scientists have completely lost eyesight in one or both of their eyes due to the harsh forces coming from the eyewash station. Well, I have never heard of that. I don't believe that if I and looked into it, I would hear of it. You you would. And the last point that I want to make about this, and this is one that I think um, you're definitely going to find a lot of evidence on, is that <laughs> is that more people were actually harmed installing eyewash stations and were actually helped by them. And that's a statistic. And if I looked into that, that would be that would be backed up by some some area. Chicago, Chicago Health and Safety Commission. Well, I don't have that in front of me to verify, but um to move to something that one should have. Yes. For safety purposes, maybe in their citizen scientist laboratory, go ahead. Uh, is gas detectors sure? No, there's gases all over the place. There are gases all over the place. We are we are immersed, ensconced in gas in the atmosphere, um, in the byproducts of our loved ones, in mm -hmm. the emissions of our house plants, the emissions which, of our cows, which could also be loved ones. But but all gases can be hazardous mm -hmm. in high enough doses. Not all gases are made 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 equally too. It, it, really, any gas actually is quite it can can be hazardous. Even oxygen, which we require to respire, obviously, right but above a certain level, that is uh, flammable. It is it is bad, and it, right. it is imperative that these gases be uh, monitored for the safety mm -hmm. uh, of the people around you. Um, and this, this is an right. issue that that is a significant one in uh, academia and in sure. the, the space of spirit science. We have a number of samples that are kept on liquid nitrogen that are being cryogenically really? frozen. Yes. A number of our body parts of saints and, and oh. uh, uh, other biopsies. Interesting. And these the, the fears that these are emitting gases? Well, I, I don't want to besmirch the dead. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I did have a grad student uh -huh. who, in their foolishness, decided to access the finger of a catholic saint from one of our deep freeze areas that's uh, that doesn't sound like a good idea they did it in an enclosed space did and, they get permission uh they well i may or may not have told them to do it but the point being is sure. that they they opened it they in did an unsafe it wrong way. they 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 opened it in an enclosed space right. and the nitrogen gas filled it and they passed out and we lost them unfortunately and now they were lost now they're on the nitrogen and they and and, and and you know we made good use of what we could with right. regards to the body but the point being is that asphyxiation is a hazard in professional scientific workplaces and it's certainly mm. a hazard in citizen scientific work spaces right because most of the areas that you're going to be doing science are enclosed areas unless you make some major renovations and you know we don't want to encourage that we want to encourage diy solutions well i'm certainly willing to encourage open air experimentation i think no, it I, brings, think so. I think it brings something to the table i but, think that's a luxury that not everybody can have but um uh in particular uh what we you need to be worried. You need to be worried about a number of gases, whether or not that be neon. Uh, that is that is an asphyxiant. Argon, mm. yes. nitrogen. We yes. talked about that already. Carbon dioxide. That's one that people often overlook. Okay. Um, with carbon monoxide. Okay. That's another one that people are probably more aware of. Ammonia. 
polychlorinated dioxide. Ron, this is a, this is a lot. There are a lot of gases that one needs to be There's... vigilant for. Xenon, radon. <laughs> Rowan, I don't. I. That's that's all. That's all fine and good, Rowan. I'm sure there are many other gases you can list. Of course. But I want to move on to my next point. Well, and that is one thing that you don't need. Let's hear it, Kai. One thing that you don't need, and this is, again, going to be something of a controversial one, because what I see, what I do is I look at what the media is portraying laboratories as having, as needing, and I really question whether or not they're needed. And the, the one that I see a lot that you do not need are labels. Specifically, word labels. Labels in English or whatever language you are you are proficient in. Um, it's just, it's, it's not helpful because in, an elabor- in a laboratory emergency, your brain stops being able to process words. And so labels are of no use. And in fact, they get in the way. Now, Kai, I have, I disagreed with your last point. Right. Um, but this one, I think I have to come around to. I think this is, this right. is on to something. Because, uh, because. Very, it, very smart, very intelligent. Right. You don't, you don't need words because the thing that you need, and I think you're picking up on this, Rowan, is instead of word labels, what you need is iconography. You need icons uh, uh, on the things that you have in your laboratory in order to, as, a, as an easy visual indicator of what you have and where you have things stored. The ancient Egyptians built batteries using iconography and iconographic... Iconographical, yeah. Iconographical. Iconographical, yes. Language. Mm. And they're better than Duracells today. In an emergency situation, in a hazardous situation, as you put it, uh, one looks to archetypes. One looks to um, representations of the proper response. Right. Yeah, for exa- words get between that and the the emotional response that one expects from an emergency response. Right, and perhaps let's say maybe somebody else needs to use your laboratory in an emergency scenario, and let's say they don't speak the language that you have things labeled in, they're going to be lost in there. They're going to ruin things. They're just not going to conduct the science that they want to do. We want to sort of, uh, you know, uh, standardize how laboratories look and who can and can't use them. So, uh, and it shouldn't be too difficult to use iconography, to use icons, to, to uh, as I said, kind of, to some extent, label everything. First off, if you have your microscopes stored somewhere, if you're, if you're a scientist that uses microscopes, there's, um, the microscope symbol is easily recognizable. It's, it's, it's very clear. It can be built from very basic shapes. Um, when everybody, anybody sees sort of uh, the image, the, the um, silhouette of a microscope, they know what that is, and they know what to expect. The second one is, of course, uh, and this is another one, the medical kit. Maybe a medical kit is, is an, again, another easy one. It's, it's almost a give me. Um, medical kit can be easily uh, uh, labeled with a plus or a, um, a caduceus, a caduceus. The winged serpent, the winged which serpent. is wrapped around a, a uh, staff. Uh, yes, a, a staff. Um, so you can use that, or you can use a large needle. Anything to get the point across that this is a medical kit with medical supplies in it and just to clarify with regards to this you are talking about moving past even the sort of um national fire protection association hazard id card you know the sort of doesn't tell us anything the sort of the the numbers with the four the four corners of the diamond you're talking about moving past that exactly because you look around a laboratory all sorts of things have the same label that doesn't help you to determine which item is which item so i guess those are important sure but they don't tell you they don't tell you what the item is in case of emergency. There are of course some difficult ones and then you have to be creative. For example, hydrogen peroxide, very useful laboratory chemical both laboratory purposes common reagent, common cleaning tool as well. Exactly, but how do you how do you say what that is using icons? Simple. Tiny drop of water, but that water is sort of vanishing quickly when it's exposed to maybe a a wind icon. So that you you know that it evaporates quickly, and what does that? That's hydrogen peroxide. Very simple, very easy to understand. I I am very intrigued by this concept. I actually think that you are onto something here. My question, though, okay. is, and, and this is the first thing that comes to mind, and I, I maybe you have a solution for this. Mm. But many of the things that are conveyed 
with standard letters, with standard lexicon and numbers, is the concentration of chemicals, the concentration sure. of things. That is a, a, a very base level um, measure that needs to be known in a laboratory environment. How is that conveyed through iconography? Well, I mean, again, this is a challenging one, but it's not very difficult. It's not very difficult to come to a solution. All you have to do is take your mind back to grade school. Thinking back, hmm. uh, you want to use convenient and recognizable items that you don't have in your laboratory, but that you that you that you can use, such as apples or pieces of candy or baseballs, to convey. Um, without the use of numbers at all, the concentration of an item. And it's not that difficult. For example, if you have a 5% um, solvent in a solution, 5%. Um, 5% uh, hydrochloric acid, perhaps. Exactly. That's put five baseballs on the, la- on, on, the, on the label. That's easy. You look at that, you see that it's five baseballs. You can do math quicker than you can actually read, and especially in an emergency scenario. Your brain, that's just how your brain works easy simple way gets past all the problems perhaps perhaps it paired with a iconography of a of a salt shaker being poured on a hand that is dissolving to represent hydrochloric acid exactly wonderful 100 percent. number two uh so another one so let's say you had a 20 baseball so yeah here's a test for you rowan 20 baseballs on my beaker what does that tell me Hmm. and maybe a bar of soap with burn marks on it 20 percent sodium hydroxide 100 percent, Rowan. that's exactly the thing that i had in my mind incredible i I think i think this really is this could be an innovation but here's the thing 20 that's easy to recognize you can have like rows of four rows of five when it gets up to 50 you might not be able to count all that if you look at an american flag you don't know that it's 50 stars necessarily you don't count those things automatically so that's when you need to get again more creative if you have 50 percent Sodium bicarbonate or whatever. That's something that you probably have in your laboratory, sodium bicarbonate. Um, a half a pizza. And that's something we all know, recognize, and understand as a, as a, you know, a deliminator of percentage. Well, that's fascinating, Kai. I, I think that is really, um, really astute. And I right. think it, I agree. I think for the mental capacity of your average citizen scientist, I think that this would be this would be effective. Yeah, and especially for, again, emergency scenario, you can't read. You your brain stops reading in an emergency. Well, very quickly, because I know we are short on time, I want to talk about one very quick thing that you mm-hmm. can have in your lab. And the, the remaining five, well, you can figure out by yourself. Yes. Um, but but the, the last one I talk about is probiotics, very quickly. Oh. Probiotics should be at hand in any lab that works with pathogens, toxins, low frequencies, heavy metals, these sort of things. Because oftentimes the uh, negative effects of these for example, let's say you are working in a lab that works with E. coli and you're feeling mm-hmm. a little bit down. As I often am. One could simply take some probiotics. Right. And the all-natural gut bacteria will make a protective layer against anything that attempts to get in. And and, and this, this, this is a something that should be right next to Tylenol. It should be right, <laughs> right next, in your medicine right cabinet. Right next to antibiotics. If anything, you should actually probably keep some space between the probiotics and the antibiotics. <laughs> they can't or if they come in contact they're are they going to like cancel each other out or something? They very well might depending on the nature of your probiotics and your antibiotics. Sure. The point being is that they dissolve into pure energy. One of the things that it does one of the things that it does. Okay. And if you can't find uh, probiotics, uh, such as like a fecal transplant or a truly probiotic supplement, um, mm. yogurt would work fine as well. Um, and that's a health, that's a healthy, safe, and delicious way to keep this on hand. I have had, um, once again, another grad student of a former grad student of mine who former success, grad successfully treated um, uh, some heptane ingestion with Oof. two scoops of um, unpasteurized uh, raw yogurt. Just two. It's all it takes. Right. And that is not a um, a statement of, uh, of of a drug or a cure uh, for legal reasons, but right. that is was my experience. Yeah, and you know the thing is, most of the cures for things that you will find are things that you do. You experiment for yourself with your own body, is what you're saying. Well, that's how um, uh, Helioobacter pylori was discovered. Certainly, sure. 
I couldn't agree more. And with that, um, we had five more. But, we had five more, 100%. But uh, unfortunately, we don't have time for them. So yep. um, take what you can. But we will move into, after speaking at length about what a citizen scientist can do, mm-hmm. why don't we move to a citizen science segment? Excellent. So our citizen science segment is where we showcase data, findings, and hypotheses published in the public sphere, primarily social media, by the citizen scientists out there. Right. This is something that we have found out um, in sort of the sea of great minds, right. deep thinkers, and and, and innovators and yeah. visionaries that True. exist out in on the internet and the statements that they make. Yeah, exactly. And this is as great a statement as ever. Um, <clears throat> uh, don't have a name for this one. An anonymous no. thinker. Mm-hmm. And they say this. My friend was the prototype that helped doctors eventually develop a prosthetic arm that could control the fingers by using nerves in the shoulder blade mind controls. <laughs> Tilda, that's proven science to demonstrate your thoughts matter and can control things you never thought possible. That's, that's true. It's not easy, but hey, you disability peeps need some oh. of us to keep paying taxes and contributing to society. So let's all agree your problems are bigger than you and me and have a nice day and that certainly went in a direction that i did not expect that is certainly a bold statement i don't necessarily agree with it yeah we don't necessarily agree with it but what truly is the case what we all know and agree with is that science is about making bold claims and that the mind is capable of controlling many things such as the movement of the fingers and perhaps more things more things one 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 will never know one could only imagine I'd like to close on a quote by Dr. Emmett Holland, quantum physicist and head of the Big Boson Experiment in Frankfurt, Maine, said this, My two-year-old son is a scientist, and more so than I will ever be. Eureka Cast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers, New Media Labs in Chicago, Illinois. We are broadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. CST, on WLPN LP 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, and rebroadcast every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WIIT 88.9 FM, Chicago. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at EurekaCast on Twitter and Instagram, and visit our website at awcyfm.com slash EurekaCast. Uh, Rowan, we have some other places, though, right? We do. If you engage in other forms of social media, please feel free to find us at facebook.com slash awcyfm, or send an electronic mail to awcyfm at gmail.com, where you can share with us any technological, mm-hmm. scientific, or spiritual breakthroughs you've witnessed or participated in. Additionally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program, feel free to reach out at that email, which is once again awcyfm at gmail.com. And with that, Chicago, allow us here at Eureka Cast Now to dismiss the worries of calamity to all listeners participating in citizen science this evening. Break the rules a little.